Good morning, all. It's good to see everybody here today. Can't think of any place I'd rather be than here with my brothers and sisters in Christ here at TCF. I want to start with a passage of scripture this morning as we begin from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a very familiar passage. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit now would equip us to hear your word. Lord, that you would illuminate your word in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits. And Lord, teach us, Father, today as we hear your word preached in Jesus' name. Amen. The world has in recent years illustrated its fascination with having special powers by making superhero movies some of the top grossing movies of all time. They make more money than almost anything else these days. There have been 22 Marvel Comics uh, movies in just the latest incarnation of Marvel superheroes on films and along with several television shows as well. There have also been more than 20 DC Comics superhero movies in the past 20 years and several related TV shows. And there's more to come. The newest Spider-Man movie just opened this weekend. So apparently there's something about superheroes and superpowers that excites the imagination of people. It seemed to reach a peak a few months ago with the release of Avengers Endgame, which as of now is the second highest money-making film of all time, and that's just a few months after its release. In other words, it will eventually become the biggest money-making movie ever. Barb and I have enjoyed some of these superhero movies ourselves, some more than others, but as the news about the popularity of Endgame started a few months ago, I began to think about this a little bit more seriously. Clearly, these movie makers have captured something in this cultural moment that's appealing to people. After all, why else would people spend their hard-earned money to go see these movies if it wasn't somehow appealing to them? The last time I wondered about a cultural craze like this that seemed to be so prevalent and you were seeing it everywhere was in the zombie era. You remember the zombie era? I'm not sure that's entirely past, but it has no doubt diminished significantly. We went through a season of time when it seemed like there was always a zombie movie in the theaters. And there were several TV shows too, there still are. I asked people during that era, what is it about the attraction of zombies? What is it and why are people so drawn to these movies? Well, I'm still not sure I really understand that particular craze. Though some of you who were paying attention may remember a 2015 TCF sermon called Zombie Cure, which compared the reality of the walking dead to who we are apart from Christ, dead in our sins, but still walking around, right? So I also had a few conversations about this latest craze of superheroes, and I was searching for some clarity about their popularity and what it might mean to us as believers. I, I kind of do that sometimes. I think about what's happening in our culture and why it's happening and how it impacts us as believers and how we should think about these things. I had a few conversations with Faith Feathers, and she loves these superhero movies. I asked her why she found them so appealing. Well, she mentioned some things that I think all of us would notice about these movies if you've seen them. The sacrificial actions of the superheroes, the battle of good, versus evil. She also likes the action in the movies and the humor, and some of them are indeed very entertaining. But she also said 
that the idea of having superpowers was somehow appealing to her. Faith said that she wants to have the superpower of being able to fly. She thought that would be kind of fun. For me, I'd like to be able to stop time whenever I want to. I first dreamed of this particular superpower when I realized how much I hated to get out of bed in the morning. And I thought how cool it would be if I could just kind of start to wake up and then stop time from advancing until I was really ready to get out of bed. I kind of wish for that just this morning. Anyway, I began to wonder if there's not a spiritual component to this desire that we have for power. Not just any power, but superpower. We all have power to some degree. We also all recognize when and where our power is clearly lacking. Power says we can. No power says we can't. Power is just ability. And superpower is super ability, or ability on steroids, power above and beyond the norm, beyond the natural powers that we can all attain. Then I thought of the amazing reality for those of us who are in Christ. It's true for all of us. As believers, the Word of God is clear. We have the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit Himself, literally living inside of us. Writing to the Corinthian believers, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And then in 1 Corinthians 6.19, he said, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We see this promise not just in the New Testament. We see this promise for believers all the way back to the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In these passages, we begin to see God's purposes in causing the Holy Spirit to live inside of those who trust Him for their salvation. When His Spirit lives inside of us, we can live a holy and godly life. Apart from that Spirit-given power, we don't have the power to live a holy and godly and righteous life. We don't even have the ability to obey God. We live in, we wallow in, we walk in sin apart from Christ. So as our opening passage of Scripture tells us, when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we have power. We have, in fact, superpower. Superpower, why? Because it's the Holy Spirit's power. We have enhanced ability to do things that we were previously unable to do apart from that enabling power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in His very essence, is supernatural, right? Isn't that the essence of these superpowers that our culture seems to be fascinated by in these superhero movies? Here's a definition of supernatural. Of or relating to an order or existence beyond the visible, observable universe, especially of or relating to God or a little g God, Demigod, spirit, or devil. 
departing from what is usual or normal, especially so as to appear to transcend the laws of nature or attributed to an invisible agent such as a ghost or a spirit. So that's a secular definition, but we can see some of our understanding of spiritual supernatural things in this as well. So here's this amazing supernatural reality of life in the believer in Christ. We, each of us in this room, who are believers in Christ this morning, are the dwelling place of a supernatural person. How's that for the premise of a superhero movie? So we're not like Superman. We're not like Captain Marvel, seemingly invincible, fantastically strong, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. We're not like Spider-Man who can in human size take on the corresponding strength of a spider and lift more than 50 times his body weight, shoot spider webs from his wrists, and withstand a pounding that no normal human can endure. Have you ever wondered why none of the villains in the Spider-Man movies never really just thought of a big can of bug spray to defeat (laughs) Spider-Man? Anyway, we're not even like Iron Man who only has superpowers with his special iron suit on. But with that, he can fly. Faith, he can fly. You need an Iron Man suit. He can withstand countless bullets from guns and shoot energy from his hands to destroy bad guys from outer space and small buildings. So if we have a supernatural person living inside of us, what good does it do us? Let's start with our opening passage of Scripture that we read. From Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Isn't it interesting that Jesus spoke these words to his disciples right before he left them and ascended into heaven? Wait, what? He left them. Yeah, he left them. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the Word made flesh, who had lived with them, he had taught them, he had died for their sins, he rose from the dead, left his disciples, no doubt open-mouthed, as they watched him ascend into the clouds and disappear. So the last thing he told them is that the Holy Spirit would give them power. This idea here is an echo of what he told them in John chapter 16, beginning with verse 4. I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So what Jesus was telling them was that his spirit beside them, I'm sorry, his spirit inside them, the same helper that he spoke of, was better than having him physically there beside them, with them. His Holy Spirit would carry on Jesus' ministry partly because he would be at work in and through believers because the Holy Spirit resides in each of us as individuals. He would be bringing supernatural power to the lives of believers in Christ. So this, if this supernatural power wasn't so we could fly or shoot spider webs out of our wrists, what are these superpowers? Well, the last thing he told them before he ascended into heaven 
was that power would enable, would give them power to be his witnesses. There's so much that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do, okay? But those of us who were saved and discipled in charismatic streams tend to define the power of the Spirit as the gifts, like healing, like tongues, like miracles. So we start and stop with 1 Corinthians 12. But the Holy Spirit is so much more, so much bigger than these gifts. Not dismissing the gifts. No doubt the disciples were equipped by the Holy Spirit to do these things and more. Indisputably supernatural works. But Paul wrote of these supernatural gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. All these, referring to the gifts, are empowered. In other words, he gives the power to do that. Why? By one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So these are given individually as God wills. Supernatural exhibits of God's power for the purpose of blessing his people in his mercy. Yes, that's part of it. But more importantly, they're for proving God's reality and his power to save us from our sins. They were credentials for the gospel. Why else would Jesus, in his last recorded words on earth, connect so clearly the coming of the Holy Spirit's power into the lives of believers with being his witnesses? We see that connected so clearly in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So without dismissing or denying, we might see as the more spectacular gifts like healing. We don't want to dismiss or deny those things. We cannot ignore God's primary purpose in giving his followers supernatural power to glorify himself by bringing people into his kingdom and equipping us to do it by his power. The same Holy Spirit that heals, that enables tongues, that enables prophecy and miracles of all kinds. This really is an awesome thing to ponder when we think about it. And that's what we're doing this morning. While God clearly gives supernatural giftings to do amazing and truly miraculous things, we can't forget that it takes the very same supernatural power inside of us to change us into his image, to transform us and make us more like Jesus, to live godly lives and to display his love to a watching world. It takes the same supernatural power inside of us to truly be his witnesses. The same disciples who struggled with so much of what Jesus said and taught and abandoned him in fear when he was crucified, they went on to spread the gospel around the world and establish the church of Jesus Christ. How? How could they do that? These same wimpy guys, wimpy like the rest of us, they went and they changed the world, literally. It took God's superpower. It took his spirit inside of them, taking up residence in their hearts, changing them from within. The Holy Spirit would empower this meager band of followers to boldly preach the gospel, to give their lives, literally, most of them, for the cause and eventually turn the world upside down. Because just as no one is capable of a healing miracle on their own, no one is capable of loving like Jesus on their own. No one is capable of being effective witnesses to his glory on their own. No one is capable of resisting sin on their own. 
No one is capable of having the joy of the Lord on their own. No one can have the peace of God without the Holy Spirit residing inside. Why do you think it's called the peace that passes understanding in Philippians? It passes understanding because it's a peace that's not natural. It's not normal. It's God-given. It's Spirit-given. Without dismissing the reality, the purpose, and the power of the gifts of the Spirit, which are, as Paul told the Corinthians, a portion to each one as he wills, we need to recognize that there are things that are common to all believers that are just as much Spirit-empowered as these gifts. And consequently, they're every bit as amazing. They're every bit as superpowered. How about, for example, God's promise prophetically through Ezekiel that we read just a few minutes ago, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He promised first that his spirit would be within you. So we see that, right? But what are the results of that? Equipping, empowering, enabling, to cause you. That's a phrase that implies something in us helping us. To cause you, to cause us to walk in his statutes and obey his rules. Now under the old covenant, it was very clear that the people were unable to, despite sometimes their absolute best efforts to do so, to walk in God's law and obey his rules. They kept on sinning, and the priest had to keep on sacrificing for those sins. But the new covenant includes something that the old didn't. It includes superpower, supernaturally given power, enabling us to resist sin, and as a result, to walk in his statutes and obey his rules. It's an inside-out heart change. It's not mere willpower. I won't sin. I won't sin. I won't sin. Kind of grit your teeth, right? We've tried to do that. Resist in your own strength. Mere willpower never works. God's empowering spirit and his amazing grace at work through his spirit does work. The Apostle Paul's extended discourse on slavery to sin and what that looks like versus slavery to righteousness illustrates this. We won't take the time to read it all, but when you read Romans chapter 6 through Romans chapter 8, you can see this clearly. We're going to read just one couple of verses here. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you, know, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by, baptized, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul begins by asking us this rhetorical question. How can we still live in sin when we've already died to sin? And the answer, of course, is that we can't. But it's not because of our willpower to not sin. It's because we've been buried with Christ, baptized into his death, which, after all, his death paid the price for our sins. This is a spiritual reality. But the corresponding spiritual reality is that we've been raised with him, too. Raised from our dead sin nature, why? To walk in a new life. All that means is to live in it. Walking in new life means living it out, and it includes the ability to resist sin. Not perfectly, but more powerfully. 
Baptism pictures a person being buried with Christ. That's the submersion underwater. And being raised to new life with Christ. That's emergence from the water in that moment of baptism. This symbolizes the person's union with and incorporation into Christ by the action of the Holy Spirit. Hence, now they have the power to live in newness of life. We have the power, my brothers and sisters, to live in newness of life because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Paul also wrote this to the Galatians. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So if the Spirit lives inside you, walk by, live by his leading, live by his equipping, live by his empowerment. That's what Paul is saying to us here. If this were a TV commercial, this might be where the announcer says, but wait, there's more, because there is. How about the fruit of the Spirit? Just a few verses later, Paul writes this to the Galatians in uh, chapter 5, verses 23 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who develops these things in us, supernaturally in the believer. Now, I can hear somebody might object to this idea. Well, yeah, but people in the world apart from Christ can love. They can have peace. They can be kind. They can be good. They can exercise self-control. And yes, of course they can to some degree. But I would submit that there's a clear difference between the manifestation of these things in the lives of unbelievers and the way that believers exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Take love, for example. The word here in Galatians, of course, is agape. It's the God kind of love. I don't know about you, but I can exhibit acts of love. However, if I'm honest with myself, that love is often infected with selfishness. I love at least sometimes, in part, because of what's in it for me, not simply wanting the best for the person that I'm loving. And while I believe that God has worked this fruit of the Spirit in me so that there's less selfishness and more of God's kind of love toward us than when I came to Christ 46 years ago, I'm certainly not there yet. But I am, I am being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ, which is a lifelong process for all of us because of the Holy Spirit at work in my heart. A related point here. The fruit of the Spirit, I believe, is something that should be seen in the lives of believers, and it should be growing. But none of us has arrived. None of us has gotten there. For example, in as honest an evaluation as I can make of myself, I can see where, as I noted a moment ago, I fall dreadfully short in love. I really fall short in joy. Let's not even talk about patience. I do okay sometimes in peace, and not so well at other times. I do think God has really developed to a greater degree maybe faithfulness in me, and if I were forced to pick a superpower 
from this list of the fruit of the Spirit, that would probably be the one I'd say that God has worked in me the most. But even with that, I have to be honest with myself and say, I've not achieved the full measure of any of these, including faithfulness in myself as of yet. So because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, so does the fruit of that same Holy Spirit. Yet I learn, I grow, I develop these things as God works in me. We needn't see our imperfection of the fruit necessarily as an indictment of our Christianity, though we also need to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is what this uh, passage is about from 2 Peter. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, in other words, because all these things are already true, make every effort, Peter says, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in a way we can't entirely understand, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the heart of a believer, we become partakers, Peter says, of the divine nature. His divine power has given us, Peter says. Yet we're all going to stumble to some degree in developing some of this fruit. So though God has given us through his power everything we need for life and godliness, it's just a start. So what do we do? Peter says, we make every effort. We make every effort. And if these things are evident in our lives and they are increasing, in other words, there's the idea that we grow in these things. We start out one place and we grow in these things. If they're evident and increasing, it says we are fruitful. That's good news, folks. That's good news. Getting back to our superhero illustration we noted at the beginning, even superheroes, if you've seen any of these movies, have to grow into their roles. They didn't start out with perfect superhero powers. Go with! Fly! Up, up, and away with! Shazam! Go! Go! Go, Web, go!
nice and easy. Receive 10% thrust capacity. Chief lift. And three, two, one. <laughs> so there's Spider-Man trying out his new web ability, right? And what happens? He hits the wall. And then there's uh, Iron Man trying out his his uh, flying ability, and what does he do? He hits the wall. Can you see yourself trying to develop patience and hitting the wall? Can you see yourself trying to fly with your super-powered joy or kindness and having an epic fail? The reality is it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can even begin to think about having these so-called fruit-of-the-spirit superpowers that we're looking at this morning. But that certainly does not make our efforts and our practice pointless. In fact, it's necessary. It takes time for the Holy Spirit to develop this fruit, as well as our cooperative efforts. We proclaim him, Paul wrote to the Colossians, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. So Paul says, I labor, I work at it, but I work at it with his power, his spirit, which works in me. It's both and, folks. It's not either or. Yet the reality remains, lasting change from the inside out can happen and will happen to those of us who are in Christ because of what the Word tells us about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. As Jim Garrett has so often noted, we're not meeting in a temple or sanctuary this morning. We don't call this room the sanctuary. This is just an auditorium. It's a room where we have our Sunday meeting. If this were truly a sanctuary in the Old Testament sense, we couldn't have had the VBS in here a few weeks ago, James. Too much silliness and goofiness, right? We couldn't have Bible Bowl in here because in those, doing those things in the sanctuary, we'd be defiling a holy place. In the New Covenant, we are the temple. We, as individual believers in Christ, are the sanctuary. His Spirit fills us, individual believers in Christ. Jesus' finished work on the cross changed everything. His death not only cleansed us from our sin, but the coming of the Holy Spirit filled and empowered our dead human hearts. And the fact that this supernatural Spirit of God lives in the hearts of believers in Christ means that this morning, folks, look around. We're in a room full of people with superpowers. This morning. This is the promise of ongoing transformation. It's ongoing, meaning God's will, God is not done with any of us yet. He's not done with any of us yet. But it's happening. The change is happening. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So when you read in the book of Acts, for example, about the Holy Spirit's work, what happened? It always resulted in a powerful advancement of the gospel. God's Spirit fills those who follow him so that we can fulfill his commission to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of Jesus. 
Also, as we've noted, a result of the Holy Spirit filling our hearts leads to a growing and always progressing lifestyle of Christ-likeness. And this too advances his kingdom. As the world witnesses our behavior, they witness how we deal with things. They witness supernatural peace and say, how can you be that way? They witness supernatural love and they know it's different. We needn't focus on what the Spirit might do to us. We should focus on what he wants to do in us. What does he want to change? What does he want to develop in me? What does he want to empower me to do to be his witness? As part of my preparation for today's message, I read a great book. It's called Transforming Presence, and the author writes this. He writes, we cannot think of the Holy Spirit in impersonal terms. His presence is not some mystical gas or the arrival of some nondescript energy force. His presence is very personal. He lives in us personally. He works in us personally. He moves in and among us personally. I've been to some churches that I think should be called Star Wars Community Church because much of how they sing and speak leave me with a salient message, the force is with you. I get the feeling in many places that we are conjuring up an elusive it rather than celebrating and cherishing the transforming power of an indwelling him. That's remarkable, folks. But, you know, here's the sad thing. He cites in his book a recent study by Lifeway Research that shows 56% of evangelical Christians say the Holy Spirit is a force rather than a person. That's just bad theology. And when we think of the Holy Spirit as a force, it can lead to all kinds of problems. And it can cause us to miss the reason that God sent him to live in us as believers. The Holy Spirit was given to glorify Jesus in our hearts, our minds, and actions, in our homes, and relationships, in our service, fellowship, and worship in his church. All this occurs as a witness to non-believers in our relational circle and beyond into the near and far reaches of a lost world desperate to see and hear of our Christ. So the why behind the who and the what of the Holy Spirit is the glory of God through the magnification of Jesus and the powerful proclamation of his gospel. And again, I want to read our opening passage of Scripture, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. My brothers and sisters, I don't want to have the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to have me. So what's your superpower? Think about it this morning. Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is it a growing ability to renounce sin and live by his commands? Is it manifested in the ability to be his witness in growing fruitfulness? In a key scene in the original Spider-Man movie, Peter Parker's Uncle Ben, not knowing his nephew had become Spider-Man, said, with great power comes great responsibility. And every once in a while, Hollywood gets it right, okay? Now, that's not a direct quote from Scripture. I prefer to think of it this way. God's common grace has given the world a taste and a part of the understanding of what the Word of God reveals. And Uncle Ben was just reflecting the words of Jesus in Luke 12, 48, which says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. 
and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. God has given us. It's a gift, folks. He has given us, inside of us, living inside of us, his Holy Spirit. We have a responsibility and we have a mandate to use that power that's in us to glorify him. So what's your superpower? What's your superpower this morning? What superpower do you want to allow and cooperate and make every effort to allow God to develop more fully in you this morning? How is God's Holy Spirit working in you to change you and to use you for his glory? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you just didn't leave us on that day that Jesus ascended to heaven, Father, to fend for ourselves. But you sent the helper that Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of us, to help us, Father, to be your witnesses, to give us power, Lord, power to have love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit, Father God, power to renounce sin, power to change more and more each day into the image and likeness of Christ. Help us, Heavenly Father, even as Paul instructed the Colossians to remember, Father, that you do this work, but we cooperate with you. We work with your power, Father. Help us to work with your power to grow more and more each day. Relying on you and relying on that superpower that you give us in the power of your Holy Spirit to minister your grace and to make us more like Jesus each day, we pray. Amen.